Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 24? The title for our special celebratory weekend message is the greatest story ever told part four it's a bit random and it's the resurrection i'll tell you why in a minute it's the resurrection the greatest story ever told can't be told by just telling one of the stories within the broader context of the whole bible i mean if you know the bible is a story made up of lots of little stories and um probably just to illustrate that really briefly <clears throat> I would say there's probably six parts to the story if not more but maybe these are kind of like the highlight parts of the story so part one is creation and um, at the creation within two chapters of the creation we see man fall and kind of mess things up right and then <clears throat> if you like part two of the story especially as we focus on on Jesus as him being um, the focus of the whole Bible. Um, part two could be the incarnation. And I wouldn't say our salvation begins at that, that, at that point. It, it begins all the way back really with God already preparing a plan. Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the, the earth. Um, but we see at the incarnation, the coming of Christ. We kind of celebrate Christmas at that time. And then you've got the crucifixion. Again, a whole story in itself. And um, on Friday, we looked at that, didn't we, in a beautiful way. Um, so <clears throat> um, then you got um, the resurrection, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Part five would be the ascension. We took the opportunity last year to spend the whole day just talking about the ascension. Because again, it's, it's, it's one of those overlooked aspects of scripture, but it's an incredible story. And, and then you've got part six, if you like, the second coming of Christ. When he comes back, and it's salvation slash judgment, isn't it? Because when he comes back, he's coming back to completely, totally, utterly save his people. And um, But yet it's going to be a time of judgment. So we're going to focus on part four, if you like, of the greatest story ever told. And we're talking about the, res the resurrection. So welcome to Resurrection Sunday. I wanted to take some time to talk about Easter and where that word comes from, but we ain't got time. Um, maybe another time we'll look at that. Um, but <clears throat> welcome to Resurrection Sunday as we take a, a, a one-week break from our schedule going through the book of John. Now, historically speaking, today's the day when everything that the Lord Jesus did and said began to make much more sense to his disciples. And hopefully this is going to help us as disciples and it might even help you as a potential disciple if you haven't become one as yet. Now we're going to look at the events of, of early Sunday morning, right? I mean, it's a little bit later than Sunday morning now, but around about the same time, um, we're going to be looking at it um, in terms of two parts or two scenes. The first scene will be at a tomb. The second scene is a conversation between three characters on the road as they walk on the way. 
Now, typically, I like to read the text before we jump into the text, but it's quite a long text, so I'm, I'm not going to take that liberty today. And we're going to jump straight into verse 1 <clears throat> in terms of our first scene. It says, if you like to have a look in your Bible with me, um, verse 1, but on the first day of the week, Matthew says, after the Sabbath, which, and when is the Sabbath? Saturday, right? So this is after the Sabbath. This is Sunday at early dawn, it says. Matthew, in his account, says, while it was dark before daybreak. It says, they, that is four ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, and Joanna, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. And this is in order to embalm or to mummify the body of Jesus that had obviously been put in the tomb a few days previous to that, right? And it says, when they got there, verse 2, uh-oh, it says they found a stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, to some degree, this is a good thing for them because how are they going to get into the tomb and embalm the body, right? But <clears throat> it says they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, which is weird. It's like, this shouldn't have happened. I want you to remember that it's dark. And they're outside. That is, they're outside a tomb. In the dark. And anything to do with Jesus smacks of the supernatural, right? I can't help but think, as I think about this scene, darkness, tomb. Think about spirits or ghosts, if you like. The word is Geist in German, and Geist is the German word for spirit. That's where we get the word poltergeist, right? Now, we know that there are no such thing as disembodied human spirits kind of running around the planet, right? Doppy, right? But there are spirits, right? There are angels who are good spirits, but then you got you got you got demons who are angels, but they're fallen spirits and they're bad spirits, right? Now they're real, and they exist. I'm saying they existed then, and how many of you know they exist today? Now we'll see in we'll see this in a moment. You know that is we'll be introduced to this supernatural realm with regards to these spirits in a minute. All I'm saying is this is scary stuff. And and it's quiet now. And they're here at a tomb, a cemetery if you like, a graveyard. It would be like What's that? What's what? Did you hear that? Now, I don't know about you, but I would be scared. I'd be nervous. You know what I'm saying? Probably terrified. I mean, who likes the dark, right? And who ventures around graveyards in the dark? And then to make matters worse, verse 3, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Oh, my goodness. That's like, at this point, that's it. I would have been gone. I would have kicked off my sandals. I would have grabbed up my garment, and I would have been down the Mount of Olives. Listen. Verse 4 says, while they were perplexed about this, I mean, hanging around to be perplexed, I don't know. 
Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. I mean, they're brave, sticking around long enough to be perplexed, right? If it was down to me, you wouldn't have found out what happened next. And that means because no one would have been there to catalog the events. Verse 4 says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. I mean, my heart would have stopped beating right there and then. I mean, it's dark, you're in a graveyard, two men are standing there, shining. Imagine the scene, you're there literally scared stiff, trembling, knees knocking, teeth chattering, paralyzed by fear, no energy. Because I would have used it all up, sprinting down down the hill in 9.7 seconds, right? I remember when I was in Jamaica back in the late 80s. I don't know what made me take fast and go check this girl. Like, this is my BC days, right? Where's my wife, <laughs> Helen? Helen's over there. So I'm coming back, innit? From checking, from going to look for this girl. And as I'm coming back, I'm thinking, why did I leave it so late? Because I'm coming back on my own. And where I used to live in a place called Brownstown, the town was about a mile away. Hmm, about three quarters of a mile away from my house. And for me to get to my house from the town, when you're in the town, it's one thing because the, the lights are on. And, but on the way home, how many of you experienced them rural environments where at night it's so dark? Car, there ain't no, no lampstick. Not lamps. It's so dark, you see better with your eyes closed. That's how dark it is. And me, I'm walking home in a, this darkness, thinking, what is wrong with me? Why didn't I just leave earlier and it would have been a better thing? But he, and I'm on my own in it, so there ain't no one to impress. And I'm scared. And, and here's the thing, as I'm walking home, the last 400 yards, I know what's coming. There's a big old Baptist church on the right-hand side with a massive graveyard in the back. And I'm thinking, I'm never going to make it past this church. You know that you, know you can amplify things in your mind and when you're on your own in the dark. You know that it, you, you've got to be in the experience. You know what I'm saying? I, in my mind, I'm not making it home tonight. I'm not going to make it past the church. It, so I'm walking in it and I'm walking and I'm walking and I'm thinking, my heart's beating. My, my head, it's like, as I, as, I, as, I, as I know the church is, I'm not even looking at the church and I'm trying to make my way home. And as I'm doing, as I'm, as I'm walking and, and it's dark, all of a sudden I hear something run out from behind, from the, from the church. And I don't know if you ever heard this expression, but my head raised. It's like, you know, when, you know, you get so scared, the hairs on the back of your head, they stand up. This, I don't, I don't know what, I, what it was, but two twos, I see this dog run past me. And I was like, and I picked up this big old rock. And I don't, I, I think I must have closed my eyes and ran all the way home past the church. What am I trying to say? <laughs> now, <laughs> amen, it was dark. Now, now here, this, where we are here, this is actually inside the... T- Inside the tomb. 
In, in his account, John says <clears throat> the two men were actually sitting inside the tomb, one at the head and the other at the feet at the place where the body of Jesus had been placed. And remember, these are women, you know. You know, women can be braver than men sometimes. Now, we're going to see this to be very true in a moment. They're brave women, but it doesn't mean that they're not scared. Just in case you think I might be, exaggeration, I might be exaggerating, watch verse 5. It says, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? These men are actually angels. Hence the shine, right? And they ask a good question, like, why? I mean, that's the question that I would ask, like, why? But the angel's question was actually more specific. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Does it seem like these women had anticipated seeing Jesus alive? Absolutely not. These women had come fully expecting to see the dead, lifeless body of Jesus. Verse 6. He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Now I'm going to come back to that. And be crucified on the third day. That is on the Sunday that he would rise. They're like, don't you remember that he took like, what were you expecting? Okay. Let me take opportunity to say something about this mysterious three days and three nights. If you count from Friday, <clears throat> which is when Jesus was crucified, until this morning, Sunday morning, it's not three complete days and three complete nights. And often the question is, how do we explain this? We were talking about this a couple of Tuesdays ago, and if Dave's here. And um, where is he? he's over there. Yeah, what's going on, bro? And um, <clears throat> how, it's like, how do we explain this? Well, well, first of all, it is three days, but just not three complete days. It's part of Friday, all day Saturday, and a part of Sunday. You see that? So, <clears throat> so our Western day starts when? In the morning, right? It starts in the morning and it ends when? Not a trick question. In the evening, right? A Jewish calendar day is the opposite. It starts when? In the evening. In the evening. Genesis 1 at the creation. It says in the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. The evening and the morning were the third day, etc. So when does a Jewish day start? 6 p.m. in the evening. <clears throat> the Sabbath day started when? Friday evening, 6 p.m. Thank you, Mr. Carnegie. In other words, Saturday started 6 p.m. Friday evening. So when did Jesus die? He died a few hours before 6 p.m. Friday. We know that because they had to get the body down off of the cross 
Before what? Before the Sabbath, right? <clears throat> Which starts at 6 p.m. That means Jesus was dead a few hours before 6 p.m. on Friday, right? And <clears throat> he, was, he was dead a few hours before 6 p.m. Friday. He was dead all day Saturday. And he was dead a part of Sunday. And he raised, he rose Sunday morning, right? So although it's, it's not three complete days, but Jesus was dead over the span of three days. Couple of hours here, 24 hours there, couple of hours here. Can you see that? Right? So although it's not three complete days, it's three partial days. And we can accept that, right? Three days. But it's definitely not three nights. And herein lies the problem. Friday night, absolutely. Saturday night, but, oops, Sunday night? How many nights is that? That only makes two nights. So what about the other night? Because it's three days and three nights. Okay, <clears throat> in answer to this, there are three perspectives. This whole three days and three nights perspective. First of all, some suggest that the three days and three nights is just a figure of speech. Not to be taken literally. I struggle to agree with that because if you agree with that, then there's quite a few other things that Jesus says that you can now begin to relegate to the area of idiom. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't go with that one. Number two... Um, some would suggest that Jesus didn't actually die on Friday. Some say that he actually died on Thursday. And there's an argument that would suggest that there were actually two Sabbaths. So, so, th so, so, so Thursday 6 p.m. to Friday 6 p.m. was a Sabbath. And then Friday 6 p.m. to Saturday 6 p.m. was another Sabbath. Another Sabbath. L like I just couldn't clearly pronounce. I think that, that, that is too complicated. You've got to kind of jump over, jump through too many hoops and it's a bit too complicated. So I say, mm, I don't think I, I, I go with that one. I don't go for either of those two. But then let me introduce you possibly to a third perspective, which says the term heart of the earth is the issue. And this is what possibly needs reinterpreting. Three days and three nights and three days and three nights. Listen to Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. It says, For just as Jonah, and this is the Lord Jesus speaking, right? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights, where? In the heart of the earth. There's an argument that suggests the issue isn't so much with the three days and the three nights as much as it's more about the meaning of the heart of the earth. Now, every translation that I looked at rendered the heart of the earth, the heart of the earth. Every single one. Not that I looked at, I mean, there's, you know, but every one I looked, I looked at about 25 translations. <clears throat> and... At least up until now, I've not been able to find this phrase like anywhere else in scripture that would help us to interpret it kind of more clearly. 
I couldn't find it. I'm not saying it's not there, but I couldn't find it. And <clears throat> what we've automatically done is interpret the heart of the earth to mean what? The tomb, first of all. The tomb. So Jesus, oh, Jesus was dead three days and three nights in the tomb. He wasn't dead. He wasn't in the tomb three days and three nights. Defining the heart of the earth as the tomb. But does it mean that? Well, nowhere in the Bible does it state that the heart of the earth means the tomb. And there are some, as Byron just um, helpfully said, there are some that argue that the heart, of the heart of the earth is Sheol or Hades or Gehenna or hell. And that's where Jesus was for three days and three nights. But we've already seen that he was only in the tomb for, for three days and, and two nights. So I don't think it's talking about the tomb and I don't think the heart of the earth is talking about hell. So what is it talking about? Well, this is tenuous. I'm not going to suggest that. This is the definite cast iron answer to the issue. But I think it makes more sense than the first two options. <clears throat> that is, the heart of the earth, you have to bear with me, is a reference to the power of darkness or the clutches of the world. Here for the only time in history do we see a 72 hour period, three days and three nights, where Jesus is given over to the power of darkness. Jesus is given over to the clutches of the world. Essentially the clutches of Satan. The clutches of the devil. Listen to Doug Batchelor, <clears throat> who's a, an evangelist and a Christian author. He says, he says, Jesus was a captive of the devil. Obviously only for a certain period of time, right? Jesus was a captive of the devil for the first time in eternity. Communion between the Father and the Son was interrupted. The scissors of our sin cut the cord that had always linked him to his Father. He was in the heart of the earth, or more clearly, the depths of the world. Now listen to this last statement. Just as with Jonah, there appeared to be a total and hopeless darkness that surrounded the world's redeemer. Think about the night before the crucifixion. When did this darkness get a hold of Jesus? When did the darkness surround Jesus and even begin to possibly overpower him, quote unquote? Listen to Mark 14. Starting at verse 32 and it says, And they went to a place called where? Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Jesus said, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be what? Greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that hour might pass from him. The verses are not on the screen because I couldn't squeeze them in. I'm going to read and then I'm going to pick up again in verse 41. And he said, as he prayed, Abba, Father, 
Daddy, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came, Jesus, and he found his disciples sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now you've got to remember, this is near midnight now. Because they've already had the Passover supper. You can't even blame the disciples for sleeping. They're tired. They've been up all day. And they're sleeping because it's after midnight now. Verse, verse, verse. Where am I? Verse 39, and again he went away and prayed, saying the same words, and again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. You know when somebody wake up out of deep sleep? Verse 41, you can pick up with me. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. You see, before this point in Jesus' ministry, every time a mob tried to capture Jesus or stone him or hurl him over some cliff, he passed through unharmed. He slipped through their fingers. Do you remember seeing that as you read through the Gospels? But not now. He was now in the clutches of this evil world. The clutches of the devil who is the prince of this world. I mean he's the prince of the power of the air and the earth. Listen to Luke chapter 22 verse 39 through 53. Lord help me. This is in the garden of Gethsemane. Right? On the Mount of Olives. Verse 39 and he came out. And went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. It's a similar account, right? And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup. We, we heard him say that, right? And no, notice in this account, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven. Why? To strengthen him. Jesus is in a very unusual place at this point. To, str to strengthen him, verse 44, and, and being in, in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and notice, his sweat became like great drops of what? Blood falling to the ground. Notice, Jesus begins to shed his blood before he gets to the cross. His suffering has already started. Can you see that? Verse 45, and then he arose from prayer. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. Ooh. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You know, there's those times when temptations come in. And apart from God's power at work in your life, you have no power to stand. I have no power to stand. We saw Peter had no power. Lord, I'll never deny you. And he meant it. But he didn't pray. He didn't get on his face before God and say, Lord, this is my intention, but help me to do that. And we can, we can often take God's grace for granted and, and, and 
and sometimes get the impression that we can do this, like we got this. And how do I know that? I know that because I don't pray. And praying ain't a joke thing. It's not like, oh, well, you're a Christian, you should pray. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you know what I'm saying? When you wake up in the morning before you go to bed, you should pray. Now, of course you should pray. <laughs> but when you begin to consider the fact that you will fall into temptation apart from God's power at work in your life, and it's in that place, they say that, they say that on your knees is the place of power. So let's be encouraged. Apart from anybody trying to shout at you or twist your arm into praying that, that as believers, we see the necessity to pray. It's not even like, oh, well, it's, it's a choice. Should I pray? Shouldn't I pray? Is there a choice? Knowing what potentially is on the horizon in the next five minutes, the next one hour, like tomorrow morning when you go to work. Oh, well, well my Tuesday because tomorrow's a bank holiday. Unless you work for yourself, right? <clears throat> it's... Let's let's not be arrogant, but let's 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 recognize our weakness, so that we don't enter into temptation. Now, now, now listen to verse forty-seven. My gosh, while he was still speaking, now G notice Jesus when he was confronted with his time of temptation, he didn't he didn't fall, did he? And I would argue that a big part of it was because he prayed. Verse 47, while he was still sleeping, sorry, while he was still speaking to his disciples, right, there came a crowd and the man Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, Malchus, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. I would argue it definitely began Thursday evening in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it could be argued that it actually began earlier at the Passover meal that Mr. Carnegie helped us to see. It could have happened at the Passover meal because it was at the Passover meal that Jesus turned to, to Judas and said, what you're going to do do quickly. And the Bible says at that point, Lucifer had entered into Judas. The power of darkness was already powerfully at work. See, and this is the night before the day that Jesus was crucified. That means we can add one more night to our calculations, making three days and now three nights in any case <clears throat> again verse 6 the angel says he's not here but has risen remember how we told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man notice because I asked you to note it before 
that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Do you hear that? And be crucified. On the third day, on the Sunday, he would rise. <clears throat> See? It wasn't that he didn't tell them that is Jesus and his disciples. He did. But they had what? They had forgotten. And it seems so far-fetched that someone would come back from the dead. You know that Christianity stands and falls and falls on the resurrection. You and me, with regards to our issue of sin, apart from the resurrection, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we are all still in our sin. The resurrection, I don't have the words to express its importance. And it's not strange to understand why this was a struggle for them. <laughs> because no one had ever come back from that. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead only for him to go on and die. We see it in the Old Testament, is it Elisha? Jumped, jumped into the into the graveyard where the, the dead man was. Dead man jumped up, but that dead man went on to die. Nobody had ever died and come back to life and stayed alive. Is it any great wonder it was a struggle for them not to actually believe this? But it says, verse eight, they remembered his words. They had heard his words, but they didn't believe. And how easy is it for us to do the same? Verse 9, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest who were there. Can you imagine the excitement? A combined mixture of emotions. Matthew said, they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Mark said, so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. Like I, I was encouraging them to do at the beginning, right? For they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them that told these things to the apostles. And you can just imagine. I mean, women are amazing, right? And, uh, uh, you are an amazing anomaly. Women can have a conversation. A woman can have a conversation with another woman and they're both talking at the same time. And they completely understand each other. And I'm standing there like tennis going back and forth trying to... You guys are... So you can imagine four of them communicating this message. <laughs> wow. And just a quick point about, about the ladies. <clears throat> These have been ministering to Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. It's beautiful how Luke highlights the marginalized. He does that in his book. You know what I'm saying? He talks about, he talks about lepers. He talks about Gentiles. He talks about women. All those who are marginalized in a Jewish society and even in, in that part of the world. And, and why wouldn't he? He's the only Gentile writer in the Bible. Luke, Dr. Luke, great historian, and he highlights these women. 
Luke says that they provided for him, that is for Jesus. They probably cooked for him and made clothes for him. Jesus was never married, and so in a very pure and uncomplicated way, they looked after him. I mean, as I look over, I look at Mommy Sarah, you know what I'm saying, and I think, sorry, Mommy Sarah and Mama Shirley and, you know what I'm saying, like the older ladies in our congregation that, that, that know what it means. I, I nearly said Auntie Jay, but I don't want to put you in, in, in it. To, all right, amen. You know what I'm saying? In that category. But who, who, who know what it means to take care of people. You know what I'm saying? Like a mother. You know what I mean? And, and obviously so many of you ladies here who are mums. And even some of you who are not mums. You've got this maternal instinct to take care of, of us. Well, this is how they took care of Jesus. They looked after him. We don't have all of the exact details, but Mary was James was James's mother. Therefore, we, we suspect she was married, probably a mature older woman. Joanna was the wife of Chusa, who was one of King Herod's stewards, which must have caused a bit of drama. You know, I'm saying, you know, King Herod was a lunatic, and um, it that must have called bit like aggravation in their household imagine one of Herod's stewards married to a Jesus supporter anyway these women have been faithful to the Lord Jesus from the very beginning notice and also to the very end verse 10 says that it was these and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles that is that Jesus had risen from the dead Mark says at this point that the disciples were found all together notice mourning and weeping this is how the women came back and found them mourning and weeping verse 11 and these words they seem to be an idle tale and they did not believe them they did not believe the women Matthew has an interesting insert and says that while this was going on in Matthew 28 verse 11 it says behold some of the God after inspecting the tomb came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. So this, the, this guard had gone into the, and they were shouting out, oh my gosh, the, the, the tomb, the, the, they moved the stone away, the, the tomb's empty, and they're sharing this with everybody. The news was spreading quickly, verse 12 of Matthew 28, and when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, uh -oh, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole, and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. Don't worry. Don't watch that. So they took the money and who wouldn't and took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day, at least until that day when it was written, that the body of Jesus was stolen by his disciples. Madness. Because first of all, the scriptures say that the chief priest bribed the soldiers to lie. Number two, the, the, the disciples couldn't have stolen the body because... All of the men were too busy crying their eyes out behind closed doors, worried that the same thing that happened to Jesus is going to happen to them, right? And even if they had wanted to, the body was being guarded by 16 armed Roman soldiers. I mean, the disciples a few nights ago in the garden ran from the temple police, much less stand up to Maximus Decimus Meridius. You know what I'm saying? I don't think so. But the truth is, that there was a great earthquake and Matthew says that an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, rolled the stone away and then sat on it. And I suspect that, like me, Gladiator and his brethren ducked out. 
Who wouldn't? You see some big old angel. That's what really happened. Now back to our original scene in verse 11. Wow. Of Luke 24. The women are trying to convince the disciples that the Lord Jesus is alive. But most of the disciples deduce that the women are telling idle tales. Which in the original Greek means twaddle, border dash, bunkum, claptrap, cobblers, poppycock, tommy rot, chatter, gabble, prattle, rattle, tattle, a load of old, of old waffle. Verse 12, but Peter rose, notice, Peter rose and he ran to the tomb. Peter gets brave. And again, can you imagine the emotion? He's probably trembling, but there's amazement. There's fear, but there's also great joy. And we as disciples, um, we have this similar type of experience, don't we? And you know, this, this, this ought not to be unusual. There's time for everything, it says in Ecclesiastes. You're a disciple and not every week is going to be Resurrection Sunday. I mean, how many Damascus Road experiences do you think the Apostle Paul had? Do you ever think he ever returned to that spot sometimes or walked past that place and thought, wow, and relived the experience? He spoke about shipwrecks, beatings, times of difficulty and distress, as well as being caught up to the third heaven. I'm trying to say there's a time for everything, isn't there? And we ought not to be caught unawares. The Christian life has moments of excitement beyond belief. And I'm sure, you know, we can testify to those moments in our lives. But also times that are grey and dull and drab. Sometimes days that are difficult and even filled with doubts. Let us be encouraged by the exciting times. But may God help us to be faithful in the down times. Amen. So verse 12 says, Peter ran to the tomb. Unlike the rest, he wants to see for himself whether or not this is just an idle tale. Verse 12, but Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. <laughs> so he's not kind of fully convinced, but he's like, what, like, what on earth is going on? Now, we have a scene change. Remember I said to you there's two scenes? We have a scene change and we're now going to see an, an absolutely amazing incident. Notice verse 13. It says, that very day, two of them, that is two other disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, I'll probably get myself in trouble because I probably could have stopped at verse 12. And at the end of this, I'll be like, oh, I should have stopped at verse 12. But we're hearing it. That very day, two of them, these disciples are going to a village called Emmaus. Just shot myself in the foot, didn't I? About seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were, I'm going to walk for it quick. And they were talking with each other. Me talking to, I'm talking to myself. And they were talking with each other. Trying to convince myself, I think. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. Like we've been wondering, where is Je like is the angels, the empty tomb? Like, so where is he? He's, he's, he's here. While they were walking and talking, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Wow. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Mark says that he appeared in another form. As like to the two of them as they walked into the country. Mark 16 verse 12. Jesus 
if you like, appeared in an altered form. And he could do this because we see the resurrected Jesus does some strange things like walk through walls because the doors were locked, yet he appears in the room. And I mean, there's strange things about this new body that Jesus has, this resurrected body, and it's probably akin to what our bodies are going to be like to some degree, you know what I'm saying, when we're glorified. Where am I? So they can't see him. They can't recognize him. Um, <clears throat> irregardless of this, um, that is what Jesus looked like. These two disciples, they did not believe that Jesus was alive, right? Therefore, they definitely didn't expect to meet him on this dusty road leading to Emmaus, verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and they said, wait a minute. Looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas, we don't know the other guy's name, answered him. Are you, the, wait, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, this is Jesus, what things? provocatively and they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth <laughs> a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him verse 21 but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel yes and besides all this it is now the third day since these things have happened Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's like beginning in Genesis, because Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. Himself. Um, definitely ain't got time to go through them. Genesis 3.15, this is just a sample, Exodus, sorry, Genesis 22, Abraham taking his son Isaac up the mountain and going to sacrifice his son. Exodus 12, the Passover, Deuteronomy 18, Moses saying, a prophet like me, you must listen to him. Psalm 22, wow, Psalm 22, oh my gosh, Pastor E got us to read that on Friday. Yo, Psalm 22, they pierced my hands and my feet, David says. David was never crucified. Psalm 69, 21. Isaiah 52, verse 4. In Isaiah 53, verse 3 to 12. I've just got one verse I'm going to show you. It's Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart rejoiced. Why? And my tongue was glad. Why? Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. Mm, that's a reason to be glad and to rejoice. Verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul in Sheol or in the grave. Right? Or let your holy one see corruption. This is this is this is a this is a messianic um, verse that refers to Jesus and the fact that his body didn't see decay. Remember when Lazarus died, Jesus is like, right, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm going to bring him back to life. He's, Mary's like, what? You can't, because he stinketh, says the King James. And I'm saying his body had begun to decompose. This never happened to Jesus. And this is a prophecy about that. And it's referencing the resurrection. 
Now, these are all Old Testament prophecies or predictions that were documented hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. Just in this three-day period, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. Now, what is the, prob the probability of all these fulfilled prophecies being just coincidental? You probably heard us give this before. Cover Great Britain with one pound coins two feet deep. And then take ten of those coins and mark them one, two, three, four, up to ten. And then scatter them across the British Isles. And then get somebody and spin them around, blindfolded, and say, right, go, on, go and pick up ten coins. The probability of them picking up all ten coins in order is the probability of all of these prophecies being, full, being fulfilled. This is far from coincidental. It's a mathematical possibility, but it's a practical improbability. It could only be performed by God. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. They still don't know who he is, you know. But they know who Jesus is, at least in terms of the scriptures and what they said. Right? They drew near to the village which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is, to, it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Wow. And it says their eyes were opened. We're not sure what happened here. I don't know if he had the nail prints in his wrists and he exposed them as he, he's giving them the bread and the wine. I don't know. You know what I mean? And they see the, 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 we don't know. It could have just been that the Holy Spirit opened their eyes to, we don't know. But it says, oh, it says, and their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. <laughs> they had him there, could have grabbed him and he's gone. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? May we have that same experience with Jesus, quote unquote, here with us as we look at the scriptures, with you as you read your Bible. And I'm saying, may your heart burn within you as he reveals himself in the scriptures. You know, you see, you don't need an esoteric, you know what I'm saying, um, revelation of, of, of an angel or Jesus coming to appear to you, literally. God, by his spirit, can open our eyes and we can have our hearts burn within us as we consider Jesus in the text. So Luke <clears throat> took us from Jerusalem in the first scene to this road to Emmaus and this incredible appearance of the risen Jesus. Then look where these disciples go in verse 33. And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and, and he's appeared to Simon. So obviously at some point during this time, Jesus also appeared to Simon Peter. Verse 35, and we're nearly done. Then they told what had happened on the road. And now he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As, and as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself, now they're in Jerusalem, right? And they're trying to recount the story and they're telling them the story and they're all trying to figure out what's going on. It says, while they were talking, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace 
to you, like shalom. But they were, now, now who wouldn't be? They were startled and frightened and they thought it was a duppy. They thought it was a, they thought they saw a spirit and he said to them, why are you, why are you, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, I mean, what a moment. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And why they... <laughs> And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you got, any, I'm, you got anything to eat here? <laughs> now that's so quote-unquote unspiritual, isn't it? No, it's actually quite spiritual to eat food. If you don't, you die, right? You got, any, you got, you, you got anything to eat? What verse is that? Which one? 41? Amen. Verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it and ate before them. So obviously he's not a spirit, he's not a ghoul or a phantom, right? Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. It's like, I told you this already, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. All of it, not just the good bits, the rough, the, the difficult bits as well. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Wow, Lord Jesus, would you do the same for us? And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, here's the ascension, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, notice, they worshipped him. It's one of the verses that really set me free 20 odd years ago to worship Jesus. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Resurrection Sunday, part four of the greatest story ever told. Now I suspect that you may be here and, and struggling to believe this. I understand that. I mean, if the, if the, his, if Jesus' disciples, who he was with and he spoke to and he told, and even they saw him raised from the dead and they still disbelieve. I don't, I'm, 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 I'm not surprised that you may struggle to believe this. That you may have some doubts. But, um, but these same doubtful disciples, they went on to believe. And as Jesus said, they would be witnesses. And, um, I hope the same would be true for you as you examine the evidence. You know, you, 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 you owe it to yourself to explore the evidence. And um, maybe this Passover season, this quote-unquote Easter, might be the time when Jesus opens up your understanding to the scriptures. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask the guys to come join me as I pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for documenting not just this event, but documenting the greatest story that's ever been told. Document it, documenting it in our Bible. Thank you that the whole story is Genesis to Revelation. And we've had the opportunity to peep into one aspect of the story, and that's the resurrection today. And Father, uh, as much as I look at this text, Lord, and I think, what must it have been like to be there? I realize, Lord, even being there wouldn't necessarily have fully convinced me. Um, because those who were there weren't fully convinced. And yet, Father, Jesus determined that these very same individuals, this motley crew of no names that no one in their right mind, naturally speaking, would have chosen. You chose them. And you chose them to, to document the things that they'd seen and heard. And as witnesses, they testified through stammering lips the things that they'd seen and heard and experienced. And Father, I just praise you for allowing that document to be preserved so that 2,000 years later, on the very day that Jesus rose from the dead, we're able with clarity to read that same story. And hopefully by your spirit, be taken back, to be transported back to that scene. With all of its multiplicity of camera angles. And um, I'd just like to thank you for that. Thank you Lord, on Friday we were able to just read the scriptures. And remind ourselves of the story of Jesus being crucified. And today to some degree we've done the same. We just read the story. And um, Father, we are at your mercy as we're exposed to your word. And, and my prayer, Father, is that you would open up our understanding. Just like that app opens up, Lord. Open up our understanding of what the resurrection means. And not just what it means with regards to history, but Lord, what it literally means as it relates to us, as it relates to me, as it relates to every single individual sitting in this room. Because Father, the, the implications of this are life and death, heaven and hell, an eternity spent separated from you or an eternity spent in perfect relationship with you, all because of what Jesus did on the cross in order to reconcile sinners to God. Lord, would you allow this amazing truth to impact our hearts and lives for Jesus' sake today. Amen.
find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.